Hey everybody, welcome back to In Star Trek We Trust, a Star Trek podcast. This week we're going to be discussing episode one of the third season, finally, of Star Trek Discovery, That Hope Is You, part one. I am Kevin, one of your hosts, and I'm also joined by... The other host, my name is Ethan, and excited to be back on the... The disco floor, so to speak. We're at the oh yeah, the disco. We're at the back at the disco club. It's been it's it's really been a long time since we've seen this show. I was thinking about this this morning as we were getting as I was getting into the mental phase of wanting to record this, getting into that mental space. We did we saw the first trailer for this season at New York Comic Con 2019 a year ago. Yeah, it's been that long. Since we saw that first trailer, it just—it's been so. And then long. that's all we saw for a very long time. And that's all we saw because they—you can say one thing about CBS—they're really good at keeping things under wraps. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So season three is finally here. Let's it dive arrived in. with a crash. Let's dive into it. So. Before I get into the details, give me a sense. You've already given me the sense privately, but for the sake of our audience, give me a sense of how you're feeling. I'm feeling of two minds. Mm-hmm. I like the grand concept of the season. The idea that they are the hope of Starfleet bringing oil, you know, this vision of civility back to a chaotic universe yep but i don't like but i'm I'm afraid that they're not going to live up to that premise that i really like right from what i saw in this episode there was a lot that i felt missed the mark yeah i think for me so i'm i did not so just so the listeners know after we watched the episode i had finished it like minutes and we jumped onto a Zoom call to do a production meeting for this. And we kind of did this initial sort of this initial review of the episode. And we thought to ourselves, oh, maybe this is something that we could do and give like our initial impressions before we actually do a legit episode. Because you were telling me that there were some YouTubers that do the same thing when they go to the when they go to the movies. And it ended up being a we were kind of aggressively reviewing the episode. And I had not I wanted to go back and watch it again to take proper notes because even though I was questioning things and maybe a little frustrated, I wanted to be sure that there were things I wasn't missing. So where I'm going with this was I at first was very mixed. Now I'm sort of leaning toward a little bit of the positive side. But I'm agreeing with you in that I think it, in some ways it missed the mark. I think it needs to do more to kind of fully push the premise that they are presenting to us. But we've got 12 more episodes to see this. And and don't forget, this is only part one of a two-part opener, right? So I'm willing to give it a little bit of leeway. We will discuss this, and we will discuss this in further detail as we go on. Yes, yes. And I will, um, you know, I will point out the parts that I thought I, I enjoyed and that I thought fit and the parts that I thought did, yep. didn't. So it'll be good. We'll have different opinions on this. Agreed. 
Agreed. So let's kind of lay this out a little bit. So as the episode opens, obviously we're picking right up from the end of season two, where Burnham and Discovery get th- get whisked into the future through the wormhole, and but the show opens in a very interesting way. So with the teaser, we see this sort of unidentified man waking up going through his morning routine and making his way to a desk with this strange-looking box that has a Starfleet insignia on it. We're not really sure what's going on, and this is happening, like, numerous times, obviously, suggesting the passage of time. And he's searching for a holographic... He's searching for signals on a holographic map of, like, all the star bases nearby for some reason. And we don't really know what's going on, I will say the thing that jumped out at me the most was, given the fact that this is 930 years in the future, the big thing is going to be the technology. How big is the technological leap? And I will say that the tech that we see, where it's sort of like this, I think as they refer to this on the ready room as, programmable matter can basically turn into anything. Like, his bed then becomes, it's like all these little, like, it's almost like granules that become, then it becomes his desk, and then it becomes, so I thought that was pretty cool and kind of a leap ahead into the next millennium. And of course the big question is who is he searching for? We think we know, we hope we know, but he's clearly searching for somebody. But I thought it was a very compelling first few first minute of the show. I agree. I do agree. Um my thought definitely at first was oh, this is just like in Lost where we first meet Malcolm in the bunker. Desmond Oh, Desmond, thank you. Yeah, sorry. I don't know who the is. Um, wait, was he the one in the band? No, no, no. No, Charlie was the one in the band. Malcolm's on Enterprise. There's nobody named Malcolm on, on Lost. No, that's Enterprise. Yes. Um, all right. They're so similar. <laughs> um, so, uh, I, but I, then I realized I don't think that's fair. Lost certainly did not invent the, like, dropping you into someone's routine. No. Um, but that show did a lot of it. Yeah, and I do think that that was just such an iconic scene yeah. that it reminded me of it. And so what, I will periodically point out there are a lot of things that I felt I'd seen that concept or idea or character before. Mm. So I'll point them out when I think that I see them because I think that was one of the things as I went through that I thought, um, you know, I was just identifying the yeah. television program that it seemed to be from. I, I I identified something like you did, but I didn't identify it at that moment. It wasn't until not to jump ahead until we see him at the end of the episode. But mm-hmm. I did think of something like you did. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Oh right. Yes. Um, and so it was interesting though to see that Starfleet box. That was the thing that really was the intriguing part because. So we knew right away there's some remnant of Starfleet in some form, and that was the mystery that was dropped. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, my my initial thought on him, because he doesn't say anything in the opening, but I I was actually wondering if he was a hologram. Oh right. Yeah. That would make sense. Yeah. And then after that, we we cut right to a space battle between the new character book who we've seen introduced in the trailers and even at the various comic cons since season three began production. And he's being pursued by an alien named Cosmo amongst the debris of all of these destroyed Starfleet vessels. And it seems like he's being chased because this other alien Cosmo wants some cargo that he has. So 
you know, and it's just then that's when Mike, that's when that wormhole opens and Michael comes through, collides with him, and causing her and his ship to go crashing onto the surface of a nearby planet. Mm-hmm. And it was, yeah, it was an extremely, you know, kind of jarring opening sequence there, but. Uh, but then we cut to Michael on the surface of the planet, and then we, you know, she quickly emerges from that, and she determines that her mission was successful. She finds other life in the galaxy, in this uh, nearby life signs. So she immediately cheers out of, you know, she's so happy because, uh, again, the the worry was at the end of season two that the future would there be no life in the future. So knowing that there's life, she um, definitely was successful in that. But the thing I thought to myself was that, okay, Michael, you emerged from a wormhole and you crashed into another ship. So surely, there's you 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 emerge in the middle of two ships firing at each other. Cle- clearly, there is life in the, in the universe, but yeah. Although, since it is Star Trek, there's the possibility that those were droid or AI based. Potentially, but I, I, yeah, I'll give that to you. That could that could have been control battling something. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I I did find it interesting, and I really liked the, um, you know, it opened for a very calm, tranquil scene of this guy waking up, starting his day. And yeah. then it cut to the space, you know, after the after the new anim no, not a new animation, cut to the new, um, to the space, Michael coming in, crashing into the ship. Mm. Um, I did get the vibe when uh, Book was talking to Cosmo, and he was talking about the cargo and how he stole it, but no, but you stole it first and all that. My thought in that one was like, oh, he's a Han Solo. Mm. That was my thought there. Yeah. Um, might be more of like a The Force Awakens era Han Solo. You know, when he's... Yeah, when we first see him. Yeah. He's yeah. kind of like double crossing one side and another side, and he gets stuck in the middle of it. It's, and I think that plays out throughout the episode. It's funny you mention Han Solo because when we do see the inside of Book's ship in more detail later on, I thought to myself, it looks like a very, it reminds me of a, like a of a pristine kind of Millennium Falcon like vessel. Yeah, it had a lot of character to it. There was yeah. some wood wood grain yeah. areas and whatnot, so I did kind of like the ship. Yeah, um, but um, yeah. and I think um. What? Uh, definitely, I, th- I know we both talked about. I didn't fully understand in the moment why she was self-destructing the. Right. So that and that was an example. We I wasn't clear on that at first, and then I remembered. Oh wait a minute, because she says in the finale, once she goes through, she'll set a signal so everybody knows that she's okay, and that's the signal that they're looking at on the Enterprise at the end of the season. But. But I have a question on this. It's gonna sound like a, it may sound like a dumb question. She gets out of the suit. She takes her scans. She sees that there is life. She succeeded. Yes. Can you get back in the suit and go back? If the suit can go back, why can't she go back? Right. Well, I, and the thing is, I don't know if the suit technically went back through the wormhole. I think it. I'm pretty sure it did because they could see it in the 25th century. But I thought to myself, oh. Okay, well, get back in. Go back. Go back. Yeah. So, I, I, well, I, yeah. I think there's two things to it. So, if the suit couldn't go back through the wormhole and it just had to go up and send a signal, then don't self-destruct it. It can just let it plummet back to Earth and gra- or whatever planet you're on, and then, and then find it. Because, yeah. as we saw, it's a very powerful. Uh, well, 
and the thing is, in the in the previous season, we weren't really sure how the signals were actually working. Like, you don't actually see them do it. In other words, like, it's not like somebody hits a button on the suit and then this like sort of bright red matter just ejects from it and creates something. We don't actually see it happening. Like, she says it like I'm just going to set a signal, just as easily as somebody would say I'm going to put on a pair of shoes. Yeah, I always just thought it was like a you know you had a signal button on the shit suit and you just pressed Pro- it. Probably. Yeah, most likely. So, yeah, so that's true. So it, so it doesn't fully, it still doesn't fully pass the logic test. And maybe there is some logic, but I think if it wasn't clear from watching it, then yeah, that's a that's a missed right. opportunity. But now that she's on the now that she's on the planet surface, she's happy. Now she's going to make her way to the downed ship that book was flying in. But just after that, we cut to the new opening sequence, with the not new but slightly new but modified opening sequence. Which I, I thought was pretty animation. awesome. The yeah. new animation was a little more detailed, and it had more. It was a little more dynamic. It had the ship flying. Mm. It seemed like that was more detailed, and I, I thought it was really good. I, I this, you know, the just in general, the opening title sequence to Discovery is my favorite of all the Trek shows because I just, as an artist, I just love, I just love the design of it. I love the approach they took. I think it's. I think it's a really. I think it's a really great opening sequence. I've always liked it. And yeah, and it definitely stands out, given yeah. that they've sort of been the same, similar, great majestic shots of the ship in space. And yeah. But but I also like that it it sets the stage for what the season is going to be about. So, And it looks like Picard is probably going to do that, too. Hmm, right. right. But um, I will say, though, it's only the second best, because I think the best still is the mirror episodes of Enterprise. Yes, those are pretty, those are pretty awesome, too. That was pretty awesome too. So, but on the planet surface, Burnham actually makes her way to the downship, and she finally meets Book. But they get into a bit of a physical altercation back and forth because he doesn't know who she is. She doesn't really know who he is. He doesn't trust her. Mm-hmm. So, but she's appeasing. To, she's appealing to him because she needs somebody to trust. She can't find Discovery. Doesn't know where Discovery is. She's clearly all alone, and she needs somebody to trust. And she's asking, well, she's not really asking. She's telling him, like, you are that person. I need to trust you. Yeah. Um, the thing about this se- sequence, though, and this happens multiple times throughout the episode until later, I just kept thinking to myself, like, I don't, I know he kept saying, I don't want to know who you are. I don't know who you are. But, like, and she kept obeying that. But she would kind of make a better case. Hopefully, maybe he would understand more. If she actually. She was always. She kept hesitating to say like I'm a time traveler or something like that. Like she just wouldn't say who she was. Like she would say she said her name, and he kept saying to her like, you know, he's taking note of the phaser. He's like, look at that antique. Mm-hmm. You're from uh, Tritanium Alloy that hasn't been used in years. Like there were multiple opportunities for her to say, well, it's because I'm a time traveler or something like that. And I just feel like. I don't know why she kept delaying from saying that, because I felt like it would make a case for her to be trusted or sympathized with, which is what she wanted. So I don't know why she kept... I I don't know what the reasoning behind that was. I don't either, and I feel a lot of things that I felt didn't quite work was the character of Michael. Yeah. Right. One might think that she didn't want to say it because she wasn't sure how that would be received or how she would be treated. But then she said she needs someone to trust completely. And if she's trusting someone completely, then that shouldn't be a problem. Right. Um, 
I just didn't. I felt like for all that we've seen Michael go through till now, I was. I just wanted to see a little more independence and some growth in her character that she doesn't have to just latch on to someone immediately and just right. throw herself at someone. Because she's been through a lot. I mean, I, I would think she would be a much stronger independent character than that right now. And granted, of course, she needs help because she doesn't have anything. But there are other ways to get help from people than, like, breaking down and just telling them, I have to trust someone and it's going to be you. Well, she sets herself up later to be taken advantage of. She needs that. I agree with you. Not only does she save the future, but even moments before she meets Book and she's thinking, like, when she's making her way over to the his down ship, she's saying to herself, like, I am Michael Burnham, science officer of the USS Discovery. It's almost like she's just getting kind of, she's just building her confidence and to kind of, like, tell herself, like, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Yet, when she goes to him for help, she's doing kind of the Michael Burnham thing. Right. Which is having a breakdown. Now, I get the circumstances, right? Like, you're 930 years from home. You don't know where Discovery is. You don't know. You're in this world that you know nothing about. So, obviously, it's a little bit overwhelming. But that's also something that I would argue that, as as crazy as it all sounds, Starfleet, being a Starfleet officer, helps you deal with stuff like like I'm not saying helps you deal with being 930s in the future it helps you with sort of the overwhelming circumstances I mean Pike did it last season we've seen other characters do it in past yeah. shows yeah. so yeah and the other thing that one thinks would help her is that she has at least some Vulcan philosophy training right and if there's any anyone that can handle difficult situations it's Vulcans it's 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 so weird to me and I don't want to I don't want to turn this into a bash Michael Burnham episode, right? But, like, when we first see Michael on the show, there's that, in the in the first episode, there's that flashback of when she first comes aboard the Shenzhou, and she's extremely Vulcan. Right? Yeah. She's a human, but she's very Vulcan, but she, you know, you would think she was a Vulcan. Yeah, that was abandoned. And, yeah, like, I'm asking, even though that's a flashback to when she first came aboard... I was. I kept asking myself throughout as the show was continuing. I'm like, where was that point when she sort of lost her Vulcanness and drifted back to becoming a human? I mean, you wouldn't even know that now that she was a human, basically a human raised by Vulcans. Well, I think which is so fascinating to me. Yeah, I think that's part of my issue is that the Michael Burnham character seems to change a lot not based on anything that's happened. Yeah. But now the hope here would be the best case, I guess, is that maybe they're writing her as someone, you know, cause I'm sure everyone knows someone who keeps making the same mistakes over and over in their life. Yeah. I mean, it's probably more common than people who learn and grow. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're just writing her as someone who continually makes the same mistakes. It, it'd be an interesting take. But that's kind of the best case because at least then it feels like it's deliberate. I'll just I'll close my thoughts on her with this right now. Is I just I don't feel like beginning with season two. I don't feel like she's grown much beyond season two. I think that the first season was a great story arc for her. I don't think that she's grown much beyond that. Unfortunately, so 
I agree. Yeah. So, but once she gets into this sort of altercation with Book, she we we begin to get a sense of what this of what the world of what the world is like. So, you know, one of the things he mentions is that. He mentions that she came through a wormhole, but he said the nearest wormhole is 100 light years away. And I was beginning to think, is he, you know, is that a possible reference to the Barzan wormhole or the Bajoran wormhole? You know, he also mentions that the Gorn destroyed two light years worth of subspace. So, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, and in, in my notes, I, I talk about the Gorn and I say, Gorn destroyed two light years of space. And I said, this, they better do something with that and not just leave it as a right like Gorn are cool let's make it the Gorn yeah I'd like to see them I mean lower decks has been getting a lot of leverage out of them but I would like to see the Gorn in this yeah and also it's just if it's because I'll talk about this with the Andorians also but if it's just that alien those aliens just because they're ones that we all know and yeah. there's not specific reason to make it those aliens then I feel that that um, is feels feels a little bit cheap. Well, I think the reason he says it is because it's it's meant to sort of highlight how she arrived. Because he mentioned that the wormhole you came through must have been artificial because nobody can travel this like this because the Gorn destroyed two light years worth of subspace. But yeah. even if they don't revisit it, it's still kind of a. I get what you're saying. It's still kind of a. A weird line, but they, and they also mentioned. So don't forget, Burnham was heading toward Terralysium. That's where she needed to end up, but that's not where she. The planet they're on is called Hema, not Terralysium. Terralysium is again. Terralysium is New Eden. Okay, that's what I thought. But yeah, hundred percent sure. So, so this was not the same planet, or was it maybe the same planet that got renamed? That's what I'm wondering because I don't because don't forget back then. In because we first see Terralysium in New Eden. Okay, New Eden was the name of the colony that they were on, but and th they say there were multiple colonies throughout that planet, but I don't see why a lot can happen in 130 years. Oh yeah, there could be climate disaster on the planet. Yeah, right. That would that would look like a planet that had suffered some sort of climate disaster. Right, right. and if somebody came along, if and because don't forget they're in the Beta Quadrant, way way far away. But somebody could I, I forgive me, I don't remember the full history on Terralysium at the moment, but I like if some alien species came along and conquered it or something like that, they could have called named it that, right? Right. We just found a bunch of dead humans there. Yeah, I think we were the only ones we the humans were referring to it as Terralysium, but somebody else may come along. So Yes. Maybe it could still be Terralysium. I mean, because she wasn't the thing is, she was asking him, is this Terralysium? What star system am I in? And she wasn't getting those answers. So we still don't know. It, it, I mean, it could still be Terralysium. It might very well could still be Terralysium for all we know. Yes. So. I did feel the planet reminded me very much of Interstellar. It did. This is the, this is the, these are the segments they filmed in Iceland. And I will say that the, the, lo the locations are amazing. Like, they're so amazing. And. It's unlike anything we've seen in Trek before. So I like that they sort of, the approach they took was, they're in the future, but we also need to make this, even though this planet exists probably 930 years ago, we still need to make it look kind of otherworldly, right? 
and yeah, did very well with that. Did extremely well. And you know, jumping ahead a little bit, but like even when they te- when they're transporting from place to place on the planet, like it's just they're they're still in Iceland in the real world, but every location just looked so different. Mm-hmm. It just yeah, I, I I loved it so. Mm-hmm. Um, we get to see the inside of Bookship. He mentions that, and it's interesting because he mentions that he can't use his quantum slipstream drive now. This technology first appeared in a Voyager episode, the season four finale called Hope and Fear, Quantum Slipstream Drive, which is very much like a transwarp drive. It's very fast, very fast travel. So, sure. Does it also use dilithium? I believe so. Okay. I think everything uses dilithium. So, I do work. love I do love books. Cat Grudge. I lo- I think Maine Coons are amazing. Yeah, you you've been a fan of Maine Coons for a long time. Oh so. god, I love Maine Coons. They're really they're really great cats. Here's and, well, I do have one thing to say about the cat. Yeah. They made a lot of jokes about the cat being fat. That was not a cat fat cat. That was just a regular Maine Coon. They're huge. Yeah, they're just big cats. I mean, yeah, they were telling jokes about the cat being fat, and when it's she's, not a fat cat. It's a regular sized Maine Coon. When she said to him, "You have a very large cat," I thought I expected the next words out of his mouth to say, "Yeah, he's a Maine Coon." Yeah, that, like that's why he's so big. If they don't know what Terralesium is, they definitely don't know what Maine is. Well, that's interesting, right? I mean, you have to wonder what it would be like adopting a cat at that time. As they begin to make their way to this new marketplace to trade items, because Michael has these sort of antiques, because she needs to use a transmitter to try to contact Discovery, we begin to get a more of a sense of what this world is like. And, I, and when I say world, I don't mean like the planet, but what this future is like. And because Michael is inquiring about what happened to the Federation, because he makes note that her badge, Starfleet badge, you know, he refers to it as like it's like a ghost. And we find out that the Federation kind of almost collapsed due to due to an event called the burn, mm-hmm. which is interesting. We first hear that term in the in the we heard that in the one of the last trailers that we that came out recently, and so. Apparently, all the dilithium in the galaxy just sort of, it seemed to explode. The Federation couldn't really explain why. And because dilithium sort of powers every starship, it would kind of make space travel a bit impossible right now. So that kind of explains why we see those, the ruins of those starships at the beginning of the episode. So it's, it's interesting, and it's like, okay, tell me more, and... (laughs) Is this the mystery of the season? So, yeah, I, I my first thought actually was they're still using dilithium. Wow. Yeah, I had that too. I thought to myself, like, given that we're so far into the future, why are they still using dilithium? They haven't yeah. advanced beyond that. Like, I thought to myself, wouldn't that be like if transatlantic liners were still burning coal to power them? Like, why are they? Yeah. Or a thousand years from today, we're still using gasoline. Right. That'd help us if we are. I mean, granted, the burn, he says the burn happened about, what did he say, about 100, years 120 ago. years ago, but, like, oh, even so, yeah. Wait, I wait. let's get this straight, because I had 12 years ago. No, 100, 120 years prior. I just forgot the zero. Okay. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, so that was, it was interesting, actually, honestly, and, and that's a pretty cool, um, you know, I, I think it would have been... It was interesting because it's something that's not Starfleet's fault at all. Yeah, 
see more of a natural disaster. I, and that's what I was worried about because when they when we when we found out that they were going to be going into a bleak future, I'd hoped to myself that I was hoping that it wouldn't have been sort of like a Picard situation where like because I remember in the trailer like book says the universe took a hard left turn, right? In the trailer they don't mention anything about dilithium, right? And what I was afraid of was I hope you're not doing like a almost and forgive me for putting it this way pulling a Star Trek Picard where like you have this Federation and people are pulling out or like the Federation becomes corrupt and people are pulling out and I'm like I'm hoping that you're not going to do that as some sort of potential mirror because they don't maybe like how our current politics are in the US or something like that like I just that's what I was afraid was going to happen and yeah yeah okay yeah I mean, I think one thing when you said that, it kind of made me realize that I would actually think was kind of cool. Is if like it wasn't that Starfleet did anything wrong. It's more like an EU situation where the internal politics of all the different planets started right. to change, and then they pulled out, and then it like fizzled. But yeah, I'm, I'm glad it was. I'm actually glad it was this odd um, dilithium breakdown because I feel that there's more to that, and we're probably going to find out what it is. There's more to that, and also. I think it makes it because I, the goal of the season seems to be that they want to try to restore the Federation for what it was and maybe even rebuild it, right? But if you have a situation where like it's an attitude change, that makes it a more complicated plot. Like how do you? Because now you're just talk, dealing with like changing people's minds, right? But when you're oh, dealing okay. with something that's like a natural disaster, like it's like you can always rebuild things. Yeah, you knock a building on you can always rebuild a building, right? And they even say at the end of the episode, forgive me for you know, jumping ahead here, but they say our numbers are few, but our spirit remains the same. Yes. Also, um yeah. I have it I know it was, Burnham says uh the Federation isn't the ships, it's a vision. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that's the more effective parts of the episode was when these sort of moments. Right. But you brought up an interesting point about book as we were talking about this after the episode aired, and I didn't, I didn't even, this was not a point I really considered, but oh yeah, so let me explain that. Yeah, we got book, and I sort of started to try to predict ways that this might go, and I think we have a serious mystery around book. His forehead glows, he mm. weird plants, right? Yeah. And when Michael was asking him about the burn, he was very reluctant to talk about it. It's like, I don't know, it just happened, whatever. Who cares? So uh, my theory is that it will be revealed that his, him or his people had something to do with the burn. Yeah. By that point, Burnham will have already fallen for him, and we're going to have a repeat of the Ash situation where he becomes a Vulcan and she's into him. I'm wondering, have we, has anybody ever thought of that? What's the burn? Michael Burnham, like I don't know. Oh no! Oh no! No no yeah, no yeah. no! She was it. It's like a I went back to save Abraham Lincoln and then I shot him. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't think of that. I didn't think of the whole could he somehow be tied to it. My, so. Where my where my mind was was that I was more I was sort of like in the. I was sort of following in Michael's footsteps in a way. Like I wanted to, I was trying to get a better sense of what the world was like. And he was just very, and I wasn't sort of picking up on his just being a little, 
dodgy about the question. And he's like, I don't know. Because it's over the course of the episode, he seemed like he didn't know much about it, but then he seemed like he knew a lot. Right. He was like, he was flip-flopping. Yes. And I, I didn't put it together until the end of the episode. Right. Right. So, it's very interesting. I, I'm hope. I mean, again, as the season goes on, I'm sure we'll learn more. But, but again, that could be Michael's pattern, right? She, yeah. I don't actually know because she can't know that the person she falls for is going to turn into a Klingon, or that right. the person she falls for destroyed the all the dilithium. So, so yeah. as we get to this trading post, the Requiem post, to steal a note from you, the place looks a lot like Blade Runner. Blade Runner, so Blade Runner, yeah. but again, in its defense, everybody steals the look of Blade Runner. Yeah, even yeah. George Lucas did for the prequels. Right. But, yeah, so we're in this sort of, like, marketplace with all these different aliens. Not, nothing we haven't seen, not only in Star Trek, but science fiction sort of in general. But we're seeing those familiar species, right? We're seeing Andorians. We're seeing Orions. Andorians and Orions, specifically, working together. People are using portable transporters to get around, so... That's a logical yep. development in the technology, which I appreciate and the thing was about this future, like, you think to yourself, it's so far in the future. Like, how can you even think about what what the technology then could look like, right? I mean, there's just, there's no, yeah, so, but you're also advancing potentially fictional technology. Right. So. I also have a theory, it's probably proven, or someone else's theory, but in history, like, there are times when the technology changes really fast. And then there are times when it kind of stays stable for a while, and then something happens, and then it changes really quickly. Yeah, that's interesting. But so, and but throughout this, we learn that so Michael, our book kind of sets up Michael and takes her items to sell because he really needs dilithium, right? What's yeah. confu- what's confusing to me is if all the dilithium exploded, right? Where are they getting it from? Yeah. Like, are they? Did they process more of it? Did they? Like, yeah, it doesn't. Be, there's fragments only, of it. I don't even know. Yeah, it could be that only in the processed form is did it blow up. Right. And so, you can still mine some. I don't know exactly the. the I, I, I will say. I will say. By the way, really quick about the about that aspect of it, the dilithium exploding. Like, God help all those prisoners on Ruripente, the prison planet from Star Trek Six. It's the it's it was the dilithium mines of Ruripente. Yeah. God help you if you were a prisoner on that planet. Yeah, and if it was the unrefined. Yeah, if it was the unrefined. So, but, yeah, so, Book sets Michael up, takes her items to sell for dilithium. Michael then gets interrogated by an Andorian and an Orion and is injected with some kind of, like, truth dust because they find out that, those two guards find out that Book is actually the guy that they've been looking for. So then this chase ensues. Yeah, because now, did you get the sense that Book was working for them in some way? I don't know. I was confused at first because I didn't know what they were going after him for. And then when I watched it again, I was like, oh, okay. So those two guys, I think, work for the alien that was chasing him in the beginning, Cosmo, because Cosmo catches up with them in the marketplace. But then they kill Cosmo. Right. Okay. So I got the impression, yeah, I got the impression that he was working for them. I, the impression I got was that whatever he has, multiple people were trying to get it, so they kill Cosmo because yeah. now they want it. So 
valuable and but I think all of that is kind of immaterial anyway because I think it's just it's it's all just meant to kind of set him up and create the circumstances for them to get away. I don't think there's going to be any sort of ramifications from that. Right. Yeah. Right. right. Um, one right. note also on the Andorians. Yes. Felt similar to that I felt to the Gorn, where there's no reason that it was the Andorians mm. specifically, and it didn't tie into any history of the Andorians that we know, so I felt that was kind of a bummer, because as you know, I'm a big fan of the Andorians. You're a really big fan of the Andorians. And I sort of felt like they were there, but they were just... Um, props yeah well i mean i think and i think that can go both ways right because if they're just going to use some species we never heard of it's like well why not make it the andorians and just make it somebody that they're familiar with right i think it's just more like to give i think that's more to just make it familiar for us and even for michael like oh the andorians okay like yes i'm in because right now so far I've gotten very little indication that I'm in the world of Star Trek, and you want to see something familiar. Yeah. Right. So. Still would rather see the Andorians and the Orions, which I'll tell you, these shows are getting a lot of leverage out of the Andorians and the Orions. They, they really are. I mean, you didn't see them much on the Next Generation, so. Yeah, they were. Shows. Yeah, that was always interesting. It's almost as if they saw them as. Uh, it was always my impression that they saw them as. Oh, those are goofy '60s aliens. Yeah, but so they get some fragments of dilithium, and then this kind of, and so we begin over the next few minutes, a chase sequence, which gets kind of boring. Totally boring, and yeah. this is a big critique of mine. Yeah, is that I felt so much time was on this chase, and it. It happened in the city, it happened out by the ship, it happened on the cliff, and, I mean, there were scenes that should have been exciting. They jumped off of a cliff, and then they transported, and they landed underwater, but I was so bored. I was so yeah. bored. It was, it didn't, it didn't matter to me, I didn't have, feel the stakes of it, because I know Michael's not going to die, and I know she just meant this guy, he's not going to die, and, right. I, uh, and I didn't like the camera work on, I'm, I'm not going to delve into, I'm not going to fall into a rant, but. I also didn't really like the way it was shot. I mean, those long shots from up above that were like circling around them while they were in a circle fighting. Yeah, the the show does some very this does some very odd camera camera choices, but yeah. Um, and, uh, so yeah, and then I put I wrote in my notes second fist fight shootout, and then that was because the first one was when Michael first got to the planet. Yeah, and that was the one in the city, and then there was another one and another one and, and another one. They would they would transport away. They'd be safe for a few seconds, and they would show up again. So, but then we sort of get a breather from this, and they're hanging out by this lake, and we find out that Book seems to have this weird ability to sort of commune with the environment around him, and it turns out he has he's had a transmitter the entire time, which kind of pisses her off, and she uses it to try to contact Discovery. Book finds out that Michael is a time traveler within that conversation, and we find out that all of time travel was destroyed after the temporal wars. So there's your nod to Enterprise again. Yeah, right. that's exciting because, you know, I always mention how I wish something had come of the temporal wars. It's such a great idea. Right. Well, and that was, given where this show, the, the year that the show was going into, I will admit, that was a concern of some fans that I would talk to online. Are they going to acknowledge the temporal Cold War? Because Archer was transported to that future in the finale of season one. Not that year specifically, but close to it. Right, and it's like, are they going to acknowledge that? And and I said to myself, maybe they 
you can say what you want about these new shows. They don't ignore things. They do acknowledge the history, right? But I said, maybe it just won't be... I just kept saying, I think they'll mention it if it's relevant, but it's not going to be the crux of the season. Right, and it it was great here because it wasn't just a throwaway. Right. It made sense that it was important information because um, that's why he was so surprised that she was a time traveler. Well, and I think that line was meant to address to address that in a way because we were confused when they chose that year to go to because they, she was saying in last season it's a one-way trip, right? We're thinking like, well, but they have time travel back then. Why can't she come back? Like, time travel will exist at that point, right? And so I think that line was meant as a way to sort of tell the audience, like, nope, actually she can't. But what what oh, I want, yeah. but what I wonder about that is because he says, um, time travel was outlawed, <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, but if time travel is outlawed, who's around to enforce this? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And yeah. um, but let's give some respect that they had a built-in canonical reason why there wouldn't be time travel, and they used that instead of making up something new. Good job. Right. Well, but also, that may not be a a canonical reason. He could just be lying, because we're not sure about Book anyway. So, I I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But no, you make a good point. Who's enforcing it? And I'll just say, maybe they collected it all and destroyed it. Maybe. It takes massive amounts of dilithium. It's just, the thing is, that's the elephant in the room. As they're in this, because we know that at that time they so. Yeah, I didn't know that or think about it. But see, and when they were saying so, like last season they were saying it's a one-way trip, and the reason why it's a one-way trip is because they only have one time crystal. But again, I thought to myself, okay, but you're going a thousand years into the future. Surely time travel will be easier to do by then. So. Because I would think, oh, if I'm going to go to the century, I'm going to go so far ahead. Is everything? Did everything work out? Did I succeed? Okay, great. Okay, now how do I get back? Right. Right. So, so wait, let me ask you this. In Trek, I'm pretty sure I know the answer, but does time crystals always needed to time travel? No, Discovery made that up. <laughs> Discovery made that up, and they didn't. Even, they weren't even creative with the ti- They weren't even creative with the title of it. Yeah, the original series time traveled all the time, and they never had any. I just, I, I want there to be a moment. All I'm saying, I just, I want there to be a moment on like this season, where somebody says, "Is somebody going to ask? Are we going to try to go back home?" Hmm. Or yeah. they just all resign to the fact that nope, we're here now. Well, right, and so that reminds me of a critique that I made in, in, when we first talked about it, which was. The feeling that I had at the beginning was that Michael destroyed the suit because the story needed the suit to be destroyed. Right. Which wasn't the case. It still felt like it was the case, it, which is good enough for being the case for me. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. I just I, I, I want somebody to I want somebody to say that. Like I want Tilly to say Control's destroyed. Okay, so we can go home now, right? Are we gonna yeah, find, or, can we find a way we're, home? We're yeah. very smart. We could probably figure out time travel since, you know, Kirk's figured it out a bunch of times. Slingshot effect, dude. Slingshot effect. 
Yeah, Superman style, make the planet spin backwards. Yeah, so we make our way back to Michael, or Michael, make our way back to Book's ship. The his pursuers catch up with him yet again. Yes. Okay. Yes. You thought it, you probably thought it was over, and then they show up again. And you're just like, oh. Yeah. So, but he manages to deal with them by giving them a giving them this weird code called Sticky to uncloak the ship, and then out comes this gigantic alien slug, who takes out a bunch of them, and the rest of them escape. Mm-hmm. And it even ate Michael for a minute. Yeah, it ate Michael for a minute, and then once again he does this he does this sort of thing where he can seem to commune with the environment with creatures and to your point his you know even his forehead glows it's very interesting it's very jedi it's very jedi like so you wonder what this is what this is all about Mm -hmm. and so we cut to go ahead Uh, i did notice that michael said when he was explaining why he rescues the slugs and michael says and there's no one to enforce the endangered species act and i thought like yeah that's the concern I don't know. It just seemed like an odd thing to mention. Well, it's funny, though, because she says that, but it goes back to what I said a little while ago. There's nobody to enforce that. Yeah. Who's enforcing the time, time travel? Who's enforcing anything? No right. one. No, right. Exactly. So, you know what I think it is? It reminds me of that. I think that's a callback to the first season when they find the Gormagander in space and they say, when we see these... We have to take them aboard because they're an endangered species, and they you have to take them someplace. Yeah. It reminded me of the Gormagander moment. Okay. So. Yeah, it reminded me a bit of, um, for some reason, the um, I don't know. Also, the sequel trilogy of Star Wars, where they have the. So, and then being back on book ship, they make their way back to his home planet. But but we learn a little bit more about Book's character, where he says that. Um, he comes from a family of killers, a family of poachers, but he seems to be the only one who has the ability to connect with the environment around him. Mm-hmm. So, this scene I thought was very interesting. Yeah, I mean, you feel like you're beginning to trust Book a little bit more, but I'm I'm not ready to just yet. Exactly. So here's yeah. what this scene was in my mind. So there's a trope I feel in, um, you know, movies and. TV and whatever, where you get someone who's a, you could, you, you don't trust them. They're a bad person. They're a tough guy. They're something like that, right? But mm-hmm. then there's always this scene, and usually it's with between a man and a woman that he takes the woman back to his home, and then you see him be sweet with like kids or his family, and then you think like, oh, he's not the tough exterior that we saw. Yeah. And I feel like that's what this scene was. It was that, you know, mm-hmm. tropey. Taking you back home and look, I'm actually sweet underneath all the rough exterior. When we get to his planet, and I didn't, I mean, I didn't find this scene very interesting at all. I mean, it was beautiful. Yeah. But I didn't really, I don't feel like it was adding much to the story. It would just seem like it was trying to kill a little bit of time. I felt that it was letting us know that, yeah, that book is not. Well, he's not a cold-hearted criminal like we thought. Yeah. He's doing these bad things, but why? Because he wants to, mm. you know, save wildlife. Right. Who, who could argue with that? So I sort of felt like he made this whole. I I think I had it in my notes that 
I feel like he made the Han Solo arc in one episode. Mm. Where they meet him and he's a smuggler and, you know, he's only out for himself. But then by the end of the whole thing, he's come around and he joins the rebellion and whatnot. Interesting. They're willing to do something not just for himself. So I felt like, yeah, we got that all in one succinct. Boom, here we met him. He's bad. No, he's not. Yeah, so... And after this, they make their way to the relay station because he he says, "I know somebody who can help." And they make their way to this to this lone relay station out in the middle of space, which happens to be what we saw in the opening of the show. This mm-hmm. lone person, so which I found to be very interesting because this it's it's a scene of exposition. We get again, we get to know a little bit more about the world around us. And the character's name is, I'm going to mispronounce it, Adita Sahil, who is a Federation liaison. And he wa- Burnham wants him to try, he tries to attempt, he attempts to locate Discovery for her, but there, he says there are only two Federation starships in flight within a 600 light year radius. There are no long range sensors. And we find out with this guy that he is this lone officer. Well, actually, he's not an officer. This liaison. Grandson of an officer. Waiting for more people like Michael to show up to give him that sense of hope. Hoping one day others like him would arrive. Now, what disappoints me about this... Mm-hmm is that it's too generic. I was actually hoping, and the trailers, the first trailer seemed to suggest this, I thought he was going to be waiting for Michael specifically. Yes. And I know we talked about this before, but I think it's worth repeating. Well, we're, we didn't record that, so... Okay, the way the scene was written, it felt like... It almost felt like it was it was written in two ways, and they recorded both and then mixed them together because it didn't yeah. make sense. Because when he first walks in, he seems very much like, "Oh my God, it's her." Yes, he yeah. seems very much like he was waiting for this exact thing. But then later, he says, "How do you not know what we all know?" Yes, it was because. So what I was saying, it seemed like that's where they were going. Yes. And then when she's asking about the burn, he goes, "How do you not know?" I'm just like, oh. Yeah, so in my notes, it actually, I wrote the quote, how do you not know what we all know? And then I wrote, so who the hell was he wait? Did he no, So who the hell did he think she was? Because when she walked in, he definitely acted like he knew who she was. I mean, it might just be because nobody visits him at all, but regardless, like, Book knows him. Yeah, but there was nothing Starfleet about them. He couldn't see her um, Delta. They right. Were both he, she had to hide it. Yeah, I don't know, criminal clothes, I guess. Smuggler clothes. Well, she had to hide the Delta because Book told her to. Right, right. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, so that was sort of um, a bummer. What I was, because what I was hoping it was going to be was that he, his family, over generations, Three knew that knew who Michael somehow found out who Michael Burnham was. Right, and knew she was coming. And somehow figured out where she, when she went, and somehow figured out 
we have to pass this responsibility down because one of you is going to event our family's eventually going to meet her she's going to eventually arrive so like it's that's that's kind of where, where I, that's what I thought they were that's where I thought they were going with this and that was disappointing I, I don't know what I can't really say what that would have done for the show I just but I just feel like it would have given it would have given Michael purpose more purpose because if if she's tasked with sort of rebuilding the federation throughout the season it would have been nice if there had been some personal connection in that moment yes yeah and how great was that scene about him she walks in and he says Michael it's you yeah well in the trailer in the first trailer he says and that hope is you Michael oh my god he didn't say that in this one actually I think he did say it in this one he did but still I mean the hope is a random lady that walks in but that hope would have been anybody else who walked in it wasn't like yeah and here's the other thing here's the other thing so I feel like there's three uh, well two other moments that are related to this one was when Michael said you know the Federation is not its ships it's the idea or whatever it was the other one is when Book says she's wearing the Delta and she says you're like all those you know people you see them at bars and they're wearing the Delta and they're talking about the way things used to be Mm. so there are other people around right I believe in Starfleet right well because he says we may be what does he say we may be limited I forget his exact quote we may be limited in numbers but our spirit is the same yeah, so so literally, so actually, literally, he just got one more person. Yeah, yeah, without some reason to think that Michael is special. Right. But just to and just to update the scene for a minute, so we find out that Discovery has yet to arrive, and they determine that they may not have just come through the wormhole yet. So it could be they could arrive tomorrow, as I say, they could arrive in a thousand years. Yes, that was, and that... we find out that in that box is actually a flag. For the Federation, the United Federation of Planets flag that they hang up. He said he couldn't hang it up because he's not an officer. Yeah, that was nice. I thought you, I it thought was nice. Was... I um, just thought to myself, you've got two other ships out there. Can't one of them come and hang it for you? Well, okay, yes. Yeah. So this is the question. I thought there was no Federation. He's like, oh, we got two Federation vessels in the area. Well, because he says... Like, Wait a minute, this sounds like every other time period. Two vessels in the area? Like, Oh, but he it... says, though, so he says... He doesn't know how much of the Federation still exists. And he's only able... He says, but there are only two Federation starships in flight within a 600 light year radius. He has no long-term senses. So he can only see two vessels, and he can't scan everywhere. Right. But it's it's a weird line to me that he doesn't know how much of the Federation still exists. Like, after 40 years, you don't know that? Right, now, what do those vessels do? Who's right. on the vessel? Right, and I'm thinking to myself, and again, these are the last minutes of this episode, right? So yeah. we don't know what's going to happen in the next one, but I'm thinking, like, right. can you contact one of those ships to come out here? Or yeah. something? Yeah. yeah. And, like, so is there no Starfleet? Is there no Federation, or is there a Federation? 
They said there's no Federation, but now he's like, oh yeah, let me check. Oh, we got two well, missiles. Well, that's the thing, though. He said there was. It's Book who said there wasn't. Okay, so maybe in the day-to-day lives of the people of the galaxy, of universe, there's no Federation because they have no power. Well, no, but I think that, but I think that feeds into what you, what, how you're feeling about Book. Okay, Book is saying no, but you think we think that Book is somehow tied to this burn anyway, so he could just be lying. Right. Well, see, here's a, my, I'll be clear though. I don't think Book like did it on purpose. If it, if that's the case, I think it right. might have been some, some something else. Either his yeah. people did it, or it was an accident because his forehead glowed too brightly. Yeah. So I mean, there are obviously questions, and it, it's it's questions. So right now, the questions are more about the the status of the world itself and of the universe itself, which takes me out. So we we've broken down sort of the episode by events. And where it leaves me this week is sort of, it's really wanting to know more about this world. Like, how far-reaching were the effects of the burn? Like, what's the status of the Klingons, the Cardassians, the Romulans? Like, what, what are the, what's the status of all these other Alpha Quadrant powers? Yeah, where's right? Soji? Where's Soji? That's what I want to know. <laughs> right. So, I'm hoping we get the answers to that. And... You know, I, I realize this is only this is that hope is you part one, so we're gonna have part two next week. But right now, I get no sense of sort of what the I I think the only mystery right now is what is the burn. But is that going to be the kind of drive for the season? Right? I, we'll know more by the end of next week because this is part one. That's gonna be part two. Right, until he says it in the preview for the season. Right. Like, so... Who did the burn? So, yeah, is that going to be like the Red Angel of the season? It, yeah. So, it may be obvious, but that's that's my major question that this episode leaves me with. Right? What's What What are we going to know going forward? What is the What's the thrust of the season? So... Yeah, and, yeah. and of course, what is the deal with Book in this week? Right. So. Because um, that was definitely another mystery. We've, we've seen a lot of um, prosthetics on people's foreheads, but we've never seen their foreheads glow that I know. So, obviously, so many questions. Overall, I thought it was a very. It was an intriguing episode. It ended on a good note, but I just think that the journey to get there took a little was too much like i realized the the point of the episode was probably just to kind of set up book a little bit get a sense of who he was get a bit of a taste of the world but i i thought they i thought it oh, i thought it took kind of too long to get through all of that agreed and you yeah. know i like to look at what with anything I watch, what are they trying to say? Right. And so my the biggest disappointment that I had was that I felt if you just take three separate scenes, mm-hmm. you get a good premise and uh, a good kind of like mm, expression of that premise. Right. When Michael says the Federation isn't its ships and technology, it's about a vision or something like that, right? That was great. 
And then you've got um, Book talking about the, the, the men in the uh, saloons or whatever that, you know, talk about the way things used to be and they yeah. won't die. You got that. And then you've got the scene with um, uh, on the relay station with the flag and the hope, right? So those all together, those three, I feel like that's the show I want to watch. And I feel like I barely got that in this episode. It was a very, it was a very sort of contradicting episode. Somebody would say one thing, and then it would be contradicted later on. Like, right? Book doesn't know much about the burn in one scene, and then yet in the next one, he seems to know more than he let on. Now, right. whether that was intentional or not, I don't know. As a viewer, it was frustrating me a little bit because, given how we felt about how last season ended. In my mind, I'm thinking, I hope this is not going to be sort of sloppy writing, right? Because one of my hopes for this season is that the show finally gets its voice. Well, you said it because this will be the one that they don't they have consistent consistency. Yeah, and as we have discussed endlessly about last season, it, it, it was it started off as a simple premise and then quickly became like overcomplicated and you know the best way i can describe it is it was like they bit off more than they could chew and what i'm hoping for with this season is definitely tell us a season-long arc i have no problem with that but keep it simple Right. right if if the mystery of the season is just going to be finding out what the burn was that's cool okay yeah yeah just because in season two, we thought the initial mystery was, oh, the Red Angel. But that that changed as time went on. Yes. Yes. And here's the thing. If they already seem like they've been off more than they can chew or one episode in, that, that leaves me a little concerned for where right. we're headed. And there's another adage in writing, which is show, don't tell. Yeah. Now, I understand that you need um, exposition in anything, but... There were a lot of things that were told to Michael that would have been far more impactful if we had seen them. Hmm. So imagine this. Imagine rather than Book saying, you're like those old timers that wear the Delta and talk about the way things used to be. Imagine if we saw one of those old timers wearing the Delta talking about the way things used to be. That would have been much more impactful. I Agreed. Feel. Agreed. And, and I also think that if the if the theme of the season is that where Michael is, you know, they're bringing hope back to a galaxy that has lost it, it's lost order because the Federation is gone. Um, it, it didn't fit that so much of it was fighting with Andorians and disintegrating a bunch of Andorians. I felt that just was gratuitous and, and pointless. And we so we talked about this last time, but I sort of. To back it up, I kind of said, imagine the... What's the name of the Gorn episode? Arena. Arena. So imagine an arena, right? With the theme of arena. And you, you described it so well. Something about, um, you know, we don't have to be enemies and fight just because, like, revenge or something, right? Yep. Something I described. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, right, we can end the cycle of revenge here because, you mm-hmm. know, it's not going to get anyone anywhere. Yeah. Because... Kirk had the chance to kill him and he didn't, even though the Gorn would have killed him in a second. And it made him stop and 
made the Gorn probably think like, oh, maybe I've been behaving badly. Something like that. Yeah. But then I said, imagine if right after that, on the way back to the Enterprise, he had disintegrated a bunch of Gorn. It would have undermined the message. Right. The episode. So that's right. kind of how she does. She's supposed to be hope and order, but she's kicking ass and taking me. Yeah, I get that. I understand. I, I, I think for me, what I take from that is she was just she was being pursued by people that wanted to kill her, and I don't think that she was really in a position to say, stop, let's discuss this. Because she does do that with Book early on. She she holds that phaser to his neck. She could pull the trigger, but she doesn't. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I just think those are kind of like our unique ways of, of looking at it. So I, I saw a little bit of that Kirk stuff early on. I don't know if that I agree with it applying to her disintegrating people that are trying to kill her. Yeah, I just wish they hadn't made people try to kill her, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, there was one thing really quickly that I wanted to bring up. So, I found this on the Trek BBS. This isn't a in the in the review thread for this episode. So, somebody of course has an issue with this storyline, which they're not a hater. I just thought what they said was intriguing. So, you think of it like this. Michael comes 930... The Discovery crew comes 930 years into the future and they want to try to resurrect the Federation. And they said... They said, imagine this. Christopher Columbus time warps to 2020 and wonders what happened to the Spanish Empire. What is this outrageous thing called democracy? Why are women treated as equals? And what happened to all the slaves? Plus, what the hell kind of fuel is gasoline? He makes attempts to revive his old empire... And bring back the good old days. Okay, but <laughs> I know. Yeah, I just wanted to bring that up. I'm not. I'm not. I don't agree with that, but I, I just thought it was interesting. Teacher, what I will say. Yeah. <laughs> when you look at the past, so if you look at what would Columbus want to be restoring? He would want to be restoring um, slavery, literally yep. slavery, slave trading. Mm-hmm. Um, exploitation of indigenous people for raw materials. Yeah. Um, Catholic, you know, violent Catholic uh, control over large parts of the world and forced conversion to a religion. Now, what I assume that we're going to see is that what Michael and the Discovery crew are trying to restore is order and cooperation. And right. like... Um, yeah, like a social contract where people uh, feel like the galaxy is not just this, the universe is not just this violent place of, um, you know, uh, might makes right. But is the implication that Columbus wasn't okay with that stuff? What? Slavery. Oh, no, he what? loved it. Well, <laughs> that's what I mean. Like, <laughs> loved slavery. Yeah, so in his mind, that's not wrong. <laughs> Yeah, he made his fortune through it. So yeah. I think you got to look at the substance of what they're trying to bring back, not just that they're trying to bring it back. Like if they got to the future and it was oh utopia, yeah yeah yeah, if it was a utopia and everything was better than it was at their time, and then they said no, we have to bring back the Federation, that wouldn't have made any sense. Right. I, like in other words, it feeds into what Michael was saying earlier in that the Federation isn't just ships. So like it's not like they're coming into the future saying okay, we got to build more Federation starships. Like no, we need to restore that kind of that sort of way of thinking that way of this is who we were yes yeah. yes if, 
the future was all peace and harmony and they wanted to bring back the federation then that wouldn't make any sense right because why mess with it it's peace and harmony why would you want to ruin why would you want to change that yeah and again meeting with that guy on the relay station i mean she does say to him i'm gonna paraphrase this because i don't think i'm gonna say this right but she says something to the effect of like you're the most federation person i have met so like clearly that spirit is still alive it's just it's too early right now because we don't know sort of this this we don't know the status of everything right uh, right we only see one city but the city was bad news i mean it was a, clearly like a yeah crime city and i'll be interested to know kind of how the trill figure into all of this because we're going to they, they look like they're going to play heavily into the season so that'll be interesting um but to your point, I mean, I really like the idea behind it. It's a very Star Trek idea where they just have to... And there are some parallels to today, right? Like, we need to be better than this. This is who we are. This is who we need to be. So, yeah, I mean, I am I do like the idea, as you were saying. I really like the idea behind it. Yes. I just I hope that they deliver on that idea. In a very yeah. special way. From what I've seen so far, I I I, I, um, I fear that they won't. Mm. Well, that... I felt like I felt like the the theme that we like was only sprinkled here and there. Right. Where if for a theme to land, I think you sort of has to drive the whole story. This is what I'm hoping will happen. Right, and then I want to ask you before we close out what you want to see this season but what I'm hoping they will do is again it's going to be a story arc for the season right we don't know what that sort of initial that overall plot might be it might just be two things figuring out what the burn is and sort of bringing the galaxy back to the way bringing that spirit back but I feel like that could be something that could that aspect of it could continue for the next few seasons, potentially. Because I don't think you just do that in one season and move on. Right? That's probably going to be what the show eventually becomes, turns into. Oh, so you think they're going to stay in the future? Oh, I think so. I don't think they're going back. So, I think that... This, my, my hope is, is that the, the mystery of the season is figuring out what the burn is. The overall arc is going to be them restoring the Federation to what it was. And again, I think that's going to continue into the following seasons. But what I hope they do out of all of that is the that premise seems wide enough to where they could do a kind of planet of the week, alien of the week type of situation. That's what I'm hoping for because we know, again, we know that Strange New Worlds is going to be doing that. Lower Decks has done a really good job of it. Mm-hmm. Picard kind of did it. It was, I mean, the the, the Dodge Soji thing was the underpinnings of it all, but it right. was going from place to place every week. So, yeah. And my last thing I'll say on this is that I'm hoping that this is the season because in reading some of the reviews for the for the episode, 
the press has gotten the first four episodes of the season to review. And they they all feel like the show has really gotten much better. But they've all said that like past Star Trek shows always seem to get really good at by the third season. It's not the case for all of them, but most of them. I'm hoping that down the line, however many seasons Discovery runs, this is kind of that season where somebody will say, yeah, Discovery's a great show. You've got to hang on for the first two seasons. Then season three is when it really picks up. So I'm hoping this is the beginning of the show really finding itself. So what do you, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Um, I, I hope you're right. But I do feel, I do, uh, a couple things. First, I think once we have the Discovery crew back, yep. I'm going to enjoy the show a lot more. Just because, as much as I really think Shaniqua Martin-Green is a very good actress, I have not loved the Michael Burnham character, and I, yeah. this episode did nothing to change my opinion. Mm. And now, especially after last week, after just watching Mariner's Arc, I feel even you know, less inclined to uh, right. root Burnham for anything. Um, it's just because that show did such a good job of it. <laughs> It did, it did. Yeah. And it was just, obviously, it had an easier just half an hour or whatnot, but it just... It was just more satisfying. Yeah, it had a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it went from point A to point B. Hmm. Um, I haven't... I, I get the... Here's a feeling I have. I have the feeling from this episode that this season is going to be treated as a... How many episodes do we have? Uh, 13, I believe. 13, 14. Word. Yeah. Um, like, a, oh, so it's, it's like, this is going to be a 14 hour movie. And 13, just, 13. Yeah, go ahead. We just watched the first five minutes of a 13 hour. Movie. Yeah. Because I feel like this is this, that, that sort of had that vibe, you know, you introduce the characters and get to know the world a little bit. And, you know, you start right off with some action to get people into it. And the other thing that I feel like, <clears throat> makes me fear a little bit is that the preview for the season I just saw a lot of space battles and a lot of um, shootouts and you know I'm not I know I'm not uh, instinctively disinclined to like a space battle or a shootout but I want to have some some stakes in it yeah care about characters and what's happening and from this episode if this episode's any indication the I really feel like you could cut out all the shootouts, and that was probably twelve. I don't know. Feels like a half an hour of it. I'm sure it was only ten minutes or so, but it feels like you didn't need those. You could cut those out completely, and the episode would be a better episode. That's I what I've kind of. Like that. That's what I kind of accepted, especially now that we have Picard and Lower Decks out there, and they each have their own identity. That's kind of what I've now accepted Discovery as being just an action-adventure show. And an action-adventure Star Trek show. The other shows don't do it. We thought Picard was going to do it in the end, and they didn't. And we yeah. loved that. And when Lo- they did have fights, they were short, they were tasteful. You kept saying they were tasteful. I always thought that was funny. Oh, it was a tasteful fight. Yes, yeah. and it, it mattered. We cared. Right. They had stakes, like... I, I have to mention it again because I was so impressed. The first big one we see that I remember when the trailer came out, people were saying, oh, not for me, shoot him up, pew, pew. 
was with um, Dodge and the uh, the Romulan agents. Yep. Zatvash. The Zatvash, yeah. But it had stakes. She died. <laughs> she actually died. Right. So it wasn't just a shootout to have a shootout. Well, and because we didn't, at that point, we didn't know Soji existed. Exactly. So we're like, okay, now what? Yes. What the hell? Yeah, right? That was a great way to use a shootout. Right. To an end. And then Lower Decks had them, but it was week to week. It was a different situation. But again, it made sense. Mm-hmm. It was right? also a great character moment for Picard because you saw Picard's... Like, this is not the Picard we knew. This is not the right. Picard of First Contact where he's got the rifle and he's lock and load and he's got his big biceps. He, he, he was useless in that fight. Yeah. I mean, when it happens on the season finale of Lower... I mean, when it happened on Lower Decks, specifically the season finale of Lower Decks... Yeah, it went on a little longer than normal, but, like, that moment was there to elevate the Lower Decks characters and bring them up a level. They yes. proved themselves. Mariner sat in the captain's seat. Mm-hmm. Boimler sat at the navigator station. Yes. And they saved the crew. Yes. That's that what that was for. Second. That was the last episode. That was the last episode. It had been building toward it. Yeah, it wasn't like that was happening every week. Yeah, so that was the first scene we saw. I wouldn't have cared because right. I don't know. Well, I don't care that she's sitting in the seat. But I knew what it meant for her to sit in the seat. She had resisted it so much and been holding herself back because she was afraid of, you know, letting that side of herself come out. And we saw her journey to understand that she actually has something to offer. And her sitting in the seat meant a lot. What we seemed to have arrived at with Discovery, and I don't want to get into the whole comparison of the other shows here, but... It at least seems to us that Discovery, in some ways, has had a problem being a Star Trek show. Like, it's almost like it's had a problem wanting to be one. Like, they make things, you would said, they seem to make things more difficult than they need to be for the writers. Like, Lower Decks does it with such ease, it's almost disgusting. Yes, and, and I made the point that, yeah. well, because, I forget what I said, but it was brilliant. Um, it was something like, well, because it, yeah, Discovery said, oh, yeah, here it is. So Discovery has this vibe of, like, this is not your grandpa's Star Trek. Yeah. So, like, we're, we're not going to, you know, all the formulas you know about Star Trek? We're throwing them out the window. Starting from scratch. This is going to, you know, get your adrenaline flowing and, you know, get your dick hard. So, <laughs> I'm not saying that, that, you know, that's the impression that they're giving, I guess. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> And <laughs> you can cut that out. That was ridiculous. Um, so I'll bleep it out whereas, like Lower Decks. Whereas Lower Decks was like, yeah, you know the Star Trek that you know from like the 90s? Yeah, 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 we're doing that. Mm-hmm. But we're going to make the characters better and have more of an arc. Yeah. Because why not? We, we kept saying about Lower Decks multiple times. We said, yeah, I could totally see this as an episode of Next Generation. And that's not a bad thing. That meant that, yeah, they were channeling it perfectly. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. My, my hope is, is that Discovery really, I mean, for lack of a better term, discovers itself. 
this season and mm-hmm. and and really has its identity gets its identity figured out because what I, what I've always said about the show is that it's a show that kind of to me seems like it's suffering from multiple personality disorder it doesn't know what it's about and what I can say about the show now is that I can at least tell somebody what the premise of it is before I couldn't now I can yes, so I can, I, yeah I can tell what the premise is so that's good that but good. we've got 12 more episodes to go so yeah. Do you get the sense when you watch it that it's almost here's the sense I have. It's like someone finished the script for episode one and then someone else came after them or was like, Oh, we need more fights and then they just put in fights. Or like that there's like maybe too many cooks in the kitchen. No, kind of I, I actually think the opposite. I think kind of the opposite. I think they nearly finished editing the episode and somebody said I'm just going to edit out let's just transport them to the end right away like I don't think we need to have this fight go on and on and on let me let's edit this out oh that's why they kept stopping and starting and somebody said no keep I want you to keep those in oh yeah yeah right like if 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 when Michael and Book transport out of what's the name of that place Requiem mm mm-hmm. mhm Maybe just have one fight. The initial one. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, there's no reason for three. And then after that... Or just the one at the ship. Go right to the one at the ship. Yeah, imagine they chase them, they leave the city, and then everybody shows up at the ship and they have that fight. That's all they need. Yeah, don't do the one when they're on like that almost volcanic setting and they hide yeah, behind the... Get the rid of that one. Don't jump off the cliff. All right, because you have to... You got to do the one when they t- when they transport out, right? Yeah. Then you got to at least do one more to say, okay... To, to fool the audience to say, okay, are they safe? No, they're not safe. You think they're safe? Uh, okay. Then, th- there's this mentality in design and video editing to do things in threes. And even oh, joke yeah. writing. In writing, in writing, too. You do it in threes. You do you do punchlines in threes sometimes, right? And you save the yeah, funniest line for the third. If you're so, going to mention two, like, two adjectives, yeah. just the third one, too. You do it in threes, right? And so... Yeah, do the initial fight in the Requiem Marketplace. They transport out. They land. They and you think, them. okay, they're okay, they're safe. They're out. Oh no, they're not. Here they come. One more fight. Then they're at the ship. Then they're at the ship. Okay, now. Yeah. But even though they show up again, they don't show up right away. Right. right? Yeah. You you let the audience kind of breathe for a little while, and then they show up. Right. That 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 I forget how many times they transported, but it was almost like it was one or two times too many. Yeah. Is the problem. So. I, I do actually, one, one more thing I just want to add. This is way, from way earlier, but it's just a little weird pet peeve. But, so, when they were leaving the ship on the planet, and they were going, or, or they were leaving it at the lake, and they were going to Requiem, Burnham said, because he did like something to his ship to like put the code on or the security system. She goes, I get a sense that you don't, that you don't want someone to find your cargo. And my thought was like, yeah, why would anyone want anyone to find their cargo? It's their, it's their cargo. You don't want somebody to find your cargo. Like, Unless, why, why is that an important thing to mention? No, if people lock their cars, it's not a... Well, because earlier in the episode, Book was being chased for his cargo, and I think it was basically established that none of it belonged to him. 
He stole yeah. it. Oh, we don't know. I understand. Yeah. But it's just weird that Michael would say that as if that were some big revealing thing. Like, wow, oh, yeah, yeah, locking right. Locking up his stuff? That's very suspicious. Yeah. That's- yeah. Well, in any event, that's one episode down. We've got 12 more to go. And, I mean, obviously, we do a Star Trek podcast, so they've got me. But my hope is is that we have a good season. We have a that we're not feeling the same way about it once like we did last season when it's over with. So I, I hope nothing for the best for the show. I wouldn't still be watching it if I didn't want it to succeed because I want it to succeed and I want it to find itself. And, uh, you know, I'm on board for the ride. So Me too. I, yeah. And like I said, I think, you know, I want to see Saru. I want to see Tilly. Next week, it seems like. I we'll want to see, see Detmer. We'll see them next week. And I actually, so I did read some of the reviews, and one of the things that I saw was, uh, was, oh my God, the other members of the Discovery crew actually have things to do in lines this season. <laughs> so I'm excited to, you know, to see Detmer be a character, mm. and um, the other woman also. Yeah, that that's what we were promised last season, and that's not what we got. So. Right. So that's exciting. I, do, I yeah. Yeah. I'm going to call him like I see him, and if uh, I think it's not working, I'm going to explain why I think it's not working, and if it's working, I'm going to explain why I'm enjoying it. If any of you want to vibe with us, you can reach us on Twitter at in Star Trek We Trust. Or excuse me, on Twitter at Star Trek We Trust, not in Star Trek We Trust. Our Twitter handle is Star Trek. Let me try that again. If any of you want to reach out and vibe with us, you can reach us on Twitter at Star Trek We Trust. And I'm resurrecting our email. Oh. You can email us at Star Trek in Star Trek We Trust at gmail.com. Yes. And I'm going to bring this back. If you do something while you listen to us, I want to know what it is. Oh, yeah. You haven't said that in a while. Yeah. Do you drive to yep. work? Do you, you know, hit the treadmill? Mm-hmm. Do you, um, do you sheer deep? Under lockdown. Yes. And then. Um, and if anyone wants to give me chess lessons or play me in chess, yep. let us know. And, 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 last plug, we're still a few weeks away, but our Mandalorian podcast, Voices from the Armory, yes. will be coming out pretty soon with the first episode of season two. I think we're going to do something ahead of that, though. I just don't know when yet. Oh, yes, yes, yes. We'll have some, yeah. Because that show comes back two weeks? One week? Yeah. Two weeks? So I better give you your homework soon. Yeah, you gotta give me my homework soon. Yeah. How's this sound for a name, right? Voices from the Armory, an in Star Trek We Trust Mandalorian podcast. <sighs> uh, no, I have no comment on that. Okay. I have no comment on that whatsoever. So. All right. That's that. We'll see everybody after episode two. Later, skaters. Peace out.